my copy of the group is like nearly falling apart. Just oh, reading really? it. Yeah. It's like the spine is completely broken. Jesus, what did you do to it? This always happens when I read books. I just don't respect them. Is it second hand or did you buy it? No, you've just destroyed it. <laughs> it's a, it's really cool. It's like I think I got it from my grandparents, so it's yeah, it's really old. Oh. And it's got it's got loads of um like library stamps in it. Yeah, is it from the sixties? Yeah, so it's it was originally at Tottenham Public Library and then there's all these stamps from what are the years? There's a page with all the stamps. Where is it? I can't find it now. Yeah, like in the sixties and seventies. That's a, that's so cool. Um, cool. By the way, you just oh, reminded me because you spoke about the book. We need to remember just before the end to do the section about the book covers and like describing what they are. Oh yeah. I oh, think what? we should call. I think we should call it um, "Judge a Book by Its Cover" section <laughs> of the podcast. Okay. Are we going to do the blurb thing as well? Oh yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. We decided we should do that at the beginning. Yeah. Mine. Mine blurb is really long. <laughs> okay, but don't talk about it now. Like we whole... haven't started. Mine's really short. So. Okay. Okay. Mine's mine's like a whole page. No, it's not actually. It's like two big paragraphs. Mine okay, is so... mostly just praise. Yeah, well, mine is as well, and it's got a lot. Like mine blurb isn't even on the back. It's in the front. Oh, it's one of those ones. It's like on yeah. the dust jacket thing. On the yeah, on the back, it's just got loads of praise. Uh, it's it's oh, I feel like we're just talking about it now. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a sec when we start. Okay. So, hi. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, Find the Lit. Um, I'm Emily. And I'm Jess. And I'm very happy to be finally recording this one. Um, although we were expecting that it was going to be in person. But alas, the common cold has <laughs> scuppered those plans. So, sorry if I do a lot of sniffling. Hopefully I won't sneeze. If it's not like a global pandemic, it's the... Bloody common cold. I know. I was doing some, I was on like a video call with work earlier and I was, I sneezed quite a few times and I just felt really stressed about it <laughs> in a very, very really weird way. It's weird how COVID has made everyone a lot more cautious about other illnesses as well. Like, I don't think you yeah. would have normally stayed away from me if you had a cold. Probably not, actually. <laughs> but Especially, I appreciate it. Thanks. It's probably... And it's probably not even, like, one you could have caught by now. You know, the incubation period or something. But, yeah, it was probably yeah. most infectious before you actually even had symptoms. But yeah. Yeah. Just being extra careful. So, um, the novel that I have chosen for this episode is called The Group. And it is by an American writer called Mary McCarthy. Um, it made the New York Times bestseller list in 1963 and remained there for almost two years so apparently it was really popular when it came out um, and it was published in 1963 um, although it's set in the 1930s um, and it kind of spans nearly the whole decade and ends um, at the beginning of World War II um, so just to kind of very simply say what it's about um, it follows the the early 20s as in they're in their 20s <laughs> their age 20s um of eight young um friends who all go to a college called vassa college um which is like quite an elite upper class college for women it describes their lives um during uni after they've graduated their their marriages or divorces their sex lives their friendships their working lives their different emotional ups and downs um and it has been compared to sex in the city which did make my blood boil a little bit um but we can talk about that mm. so that is just briefly kind of what it's about um we should do the blurbs because mine is yeah. very pertinent to sex in the city actually so okay so do you want to do your blurb first 
Your and your version's older than mine, so maybe you so should, maybe do should start mine. mine. Mine was yeah. like a reissue very recently, I think, like okay. in the twenty tens or something. So we thought it'd be good to read the blurbs of the books because sometimes they can be illuminating, hilarious, wrong. Um, my book, um, as I said before, I don't know whether you're including that bit, Jess, um, but um, this, I think this is from nineteen sixty five. My copy, so it's only a couple of years after it was actually published. So my blurb says, the group is eight Vassar girls who group together at college in the class of 33. Their sad, funny story. <laughs> you don't you don't hear phrases like that anymore. It just says the word sad and funny with like a hyphen in between. <laughs> sad, funny? Yeah. <laughs> Their sad, funny story <laughs> begins with a New York wedding in the early days of the Roosevelt administration and ends with a New York funeral during the Battle of Britain, the span of the American New Deal. Six of the group were born into the social register. One has a self-made father and one is a gatecrasher from the far west. I don't know what the social register means. Uh, Does that just mean they're upper class? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, oh yeah, because then the other two are... has a self-made father. This blurb is ridiculous, by the way. I know. Um... One is a gatecrasher into the upper classes. Um, All are determined not to be like mother, capital M. They are going to move with the times and put into action the ideas they learned about at college. The progressive axioms of the masculine world of the 30s are echoed and garbled by eight feminine voices heard in chorus and solo. The ringing Western assertions of Kay, the Bostonian rumble of Dotties, Pokey's New York Society core, Helena's Cleveland drawl. That's, sorry, that's only halfway through this blurb. What? The group, yeah, I told you it was long. The group's forward thrust into a technological era takes place within the sheltered limits of the traditional feminine sphere. They pioneer bravely in sexual relations, contraception, cooking, menus, home decoration, child rearing, consumer choice. Only one, literary Libby, is a career girl. Each of them, as the group would put it, is a distinct individual, though to an observer encountering them en masse at one of the book's periodic get-togethers, the individual may seem lost in the species. Like the virgin holding the infant Jesus and sitting on the lap of Saint Anne, some of the girls are posed here with mother behind them, herself an alumna, often an educator or a Vassa trustee. In the background, their teachers can be glimpsed, the ladies of the Vassa faculty. Helena, the messenger, reports the doings of other classmates. The roll call is completed by a study of Noreen, the outsider, who envied the group at college and who swells in national significance as they slip into a back row. Wait, that's it? That's the blurb, yeah. That's how it ends. That is the the driest thing I've ever heard. Do you think? I think, I mean, I think it's pretty accurate. Oh, it's accurate, but it's really clinical and boring. It's not, it's basically just a description of it, whereas blurbs, I think these days, you know, it's like someone picking it up in a bookshop and it's trying to make you buy the book. Yeah, that was almost like a kind of very dry, objective review. It was so long. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, my my one is incredibly short compared to that. My one is... The group follows eight graduates from exclusive Vassar College as they find love and heartbreak and choose careers and husbands against the backdrop of 1930s New York. Okay. See it one sentence. Wait, what was the bit about Sex in the City then? Oh, well, so most of the stuff on the back is um, uh, actually like praise and just quotes from people. So there's a quote from The Independent which says blah 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 and then at the end it says without the group there would certainly be no sex in the city and interestingly this edition is introduced by Candace Bushnell which is the writer of Sex in the City which was actually a book before it was a TV series and I read earlier that the when Candace Bushnell wrote Sex and the City, her brief was to write a modern version of the group. Wow. So it's not even one of those, like, a stretched kind of sale copies. It was genuinely, she was trying to write, rewrite it for now. Yeah, she wasn't even just inspired by it kind of unofficially. It was actually trying to kind of write a modern version of it. I mean, 
I haven't actually read the Sex and the City novel, so maybe you know maybe it is more like it than the TV show. But I personally, apart from the really surface level similarities, i.e., a group of female friends in New York. Mm and about their lives I don't really see the, the similarities I mean there's a million things that are about a group of female friends and their lives I don't I don't feel like it's it's any the sex and cities anything like this really no and I think it's an it's an example of just like anything any fiction that is by a women woman and about women just gets flattened into this or just pigeonholed into women's fiction yeah, because I think it just does such a disservice to this novel, the group, saying to someone, oh, it's like Sex and the City, but set in the 30s. Because it's so much more than that. It's it's so, like, I, I thought it was so complex and nuanced and said so much about society. It wasn't just, like, silly little episodic chapters of, oh, you slept with this man and, oh... <laughs> you know you're the fashionable one or you're the crazy one it was just not like that at all I love sex in the city but I love it for different reasons than I love yeah. this book yeah I, I love I that's yeah I do love sex and city as well I loved watching it um you know we got the mug for Charlie yeah yeah I guess maybe um, a similar similarity you could draw between the two is that they were both kind of pushing boundaries for the I mean I haven't read the book either but even the TV series was kind of and I don't know if controversial is the right word but you know it was quite maybe ahead of its time in a way maybe yeah and I I didn't I've never thought about it in that way because I've just kind of watched it in the context of TV now where everything's been done really I mean, it's weird because the movies were were not progressive at all because they obviously came a lot no. later. But the t- I think the TV series at the time, you know, for all its kind of homophobia and dodgy stuff in it now, when you look, I think was actually quite progressive at the time in terms of what it was doing, like as in women enjoying sex and like embracing their sexuality. And yeah, maybe that wasn't something that people had seen on TV. But do do you think this the group then? Do you think the novel was? was breaking boundaries when it it was published because obviously it came out in the 60s apparently it got banned in australia really yeah hang on i wrote down exactly what oh it got banned because it was an offense to public morals in the 60s in australia wow yeah and apparently it was quite controversial in in the states as well Oh, uh, okay. Because I, I guess I just thought, oh, it's in the sixties. Like everyone, you know, it's the sixties. No one's gonna bat an eyelid that is writing about sex. Yeah. But then like, that—that's the the, the not, like mainstream society versus like kind of counterculture society and things catching up. And yeah, I guess it was early sixties. So mm. maybe maybe it was just before all of that stuff had, I don't know, really kicked off. But it's weird because reading it, it it feels a lot more like something that would have been written in the late sixties to me, because because of that, but also because I feel like its tone is quite pessimistic, and I mm. just attribute that a lot more with late sixties, whereas early sixties you'd think it would be it would just have kind of absorbed That's some of that like optimism or idealism. What, what do you think is pessimistic about it? I just think it's quite cynical. Like, all the women start off at the beginning with kind of these idealistic politics and quite excited and setting out on their lives to get these kind of, to have these great kind of marriages and apartments and careers. And, you know, there's just a big, there's just a sense of optimism about it. And obviously it begins with Kay's wedding and it ends, spoiler, spoiler alert, with Kay's death and the outbreak of the Second World War. And if you look at how many of them are actually happy or have kind of achieved what they wanted to, it's very few. I mean, it's quite, it's quite a scathing book, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely not a tale of like um, successful feminism being enacted 
mm. in, in people's personal lives like they they have ideals about womanhood and what they can achieve and like my blurb says they're trying to not be like their mothers but yeah a lot of them kind of turn into that and whether that's whether they had any choice in the matter is something you could you know you could debate because a lot of them I think opportunities just aren't there but I I hadn't thought about it as being pessimistic but I definitely also did get the scathing tone um and I think that it's a very angry book yeah yeah there's a lot of frustration about I think aimed at both the like the characters themselves almost for for letting themselves down in a way and for not not challenging themselves enough and kind of to and sort of succumbing to to sort of outside pressures that they yeah that they didn't want to but also a lot of anger at, at men and and sort of the misogynistic society that they're trying to yeah they're trying to survive in and succeed in I was gonna say um, I mean a lot of the anger is directed at men <laughs> all of the characters are just the worst like the male characters oh god I mean there's maybe one nice male character and even then you could still kind of maybe I don't know think of things Which that aren't that great about him and that's the psychiatrist guy the one that ends up marrying um, yeah, but I know what you mean, but he's still really sexist, isn't exactly, he? Exactly, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, he's he's nice and romantic and the kind of thing you want from the climax of some kind of... He is like a happy ending in a quite a conventional sense, but he's still problematic as a character. I think that's what's really good about the male characters, though, is that they're not caricatures. Although they're very dislikable, you can really imagine them as real people because... You know, some of them think that they're good men and think that they're good people and almost just out of pure ignorance because they haven't, like, questioned themselves ever. They they say terrible things, these women, or treat them in terrible ways. And, and like, the, that character, the psychiatrist guy, he probably is a good guy Yeah. in that way. Yeah. But he's acting within the, the framework of a, a really, really unequal society. And they're horrible, but not necessarily in straightforward ways. Like, there's some stuff they do which is obviously, you know, is objectively horrible and, like, would have been to them as well. Like, Kay's husband cheating on her all the time, although she never finds out. Um, But some of it is not recognised as bad by the female characters, like how Dick behaves. So right at the beginning of the book, I think the second chapter, and I think this is one of the most kind of... Um, infamous chapters of the book this guy called Dick who's a kind of I don't know like a Kerouac kind of Byron-esque figure like he's good looking and like poetic and a bit edgy Um, he takes Dottie's virginity oh yeah I love that chapter yeah and (laughs) it's so good and then afterwards they have a conversation where he basically tells her to go and get fitted for the cap. But they don't call it the cap. I don't know what they what they call it. Um, oh, yeah. It's called, it begins it with like a P. A, 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 oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Contraception. It's like a diaphragm, right? Yeah. But um, anyway, and says that that way they can, you know, continue to have sex. And she can keep it at his. But it's like she's the one who has to go and get fitted for it and all of this stuff. And she does that and then afterwards is ringing him. And there's this whole thing where she has this equipment and she can't take it home with her because then everyone would know about it. Like it has to be kept in his apartment. And she rings him a few times and he's not there and she just sits for hours in a park waiting for him to show up. And that bit really annoyed me though, because she doesn't tell him she's gonna go and get it then, does she? I know. She she I says know. she basically says like if you know, if he was good or something, or if this was right, he would just be at home and answer the phone. And then I swear she never sees him again. Yeah, and that's kind she of... goes through this whole turmoil and then basically just never sees him, even though she really likes him and kind of wants to keep having casual sex with him. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean. He's not categorically bad like the way Harold is, where you can look at him and be like, oh, he's a piece of work. But he's just... 
I don't know, he's bad in the way that you would expect like a lot of men back then to be, the, where the expectation is just on the woman and yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's And he says stuff like, you, you're not allowed to fall in love with me or, or something, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got really annoyed at her about that. Really annoyed. And then she just goes and marries someone, doesn't she? And you and you know that she's not very happy because she has that conversation with her mum where she's basically like, "I'm still in love with this other guy," and yeah. I don't I don't know what would have happened, and yeah. But then she but then she doesn't, and then her mum's like, "Go and find him," you know, imagining yeah. that you know if you're in love with him, then you need to go and find him. And I'm sitting there like, "Yes, go and find him," yeah. <laughs> even I though know. you kind of know it's probably not right. And then I kept expecting him to crop up at some part at some time in the book I was like he must come back you know they're gonna have an affair or get together and it's all gonna be all right no he just disappears which is kind of why I think it's those things like that make me think of it as pessimistic it's like I don't know those love stories aren't real yeah because even if she'd have gone to him and it obviously probably wouldn't have ended with them you know being a proper serious couple or anything because of the way he was but she probably would have enjoyed it in a way because she she really enjoyed having sex and it it felt like she was sort of becoming an adult and then she just kind of turned it all down yeah but she could have either done that and gone and disgraced herself and you know fulfilled herself sexually but you know had to deal with all of the huge repercussions of doing that or live a stable kind of kind of miserable compromised life with her sensible husband and that's kind of mm. the difference between like a woman and someone like Harold who can do both. Yeah. It's it I love that chapter because it it's you're just completely in the head of that character and all of the like now quite funny things she's thinking like about the sex and about how she should behave and about what he's thinking of her and all these strange things which to her it's like they're completely normal things to think about but looking back on it what what I'm trying to say is like there are all these social demands on them and like tiny little like cues that they have that they you know you learn about as a woman and the way you should behave and things and they they don't see it as constructed by like the, the social world around them they just see it as completely natural and they and they sort of internalize all of these things so that it does become their problem and and it's all to do with them actually it's just a very strange social norm of the time but they would never think of it like that do you mean does that stuff happen when they're actually having sex just in that whole chapter but also yeah like obviously it happens when they're having sex because she kind of wants to look a certain way and and then when she has an orgasm and has no idea what 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 it it even is she's really ashamed yeah that was the description of it was so good it was it was funny as well I think in a way it is a funny novel I think even you know when it was written it was supposed to be amusing but 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 not at the expense of the characters. Not like a, oh, you're such a stupid woman from the past, mm. who 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 you know didn't know anything. I think you do feel for her and you kind of respect her at the same time as sort of being able to laugh at her. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I don't know. Do you do you know kind of the background of the book and like anything about um, Mary McCarthy? Because she went to well, Vassar. How do you say it? Vassar. I, I don't know. I just say Vassa. Vassa. I mean, you've kind of just showed me up just because I I haven't I I didn't have time to <laughs> even look have a cursory glance over her Wikipedia page. I um just read a Guardian review of the book and it went into it, but she um she went to Vassa and she based a lot of the characters in this book apparently quite transparently on people she knew. And they all got oh. really mad with her afterwards. Oh, I love it when that happens. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but so they all like recognise themselves in it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and all her peers hated the book, apparently. She said quite near the end of her life that the group had ruined her life. What, that book? Yeah, <gasps> even though it was such a massive commercial success because like everyone 
you know, all of her peers and the people she kind of respected in the literary world just didn't like it. But it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what did they not... Why didn't they like it? I just... Well, obviously, probably her peers at uni didn't like it because they were... <laughs> the characters were based on them. But I don't yeah. know. They said things like... Um, oh, God, I can't remember now. As in it was just kind of not proper, uh, like, literary topics to write about or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it obviously was spoken about just as women's fiction like I was saying just kind of pigeonholed in that yeah in that way but yeah I can't remember what specifically they had they found wrong with it but I I just think like that yeah it's obviously about the women's lives and all of that stuff but I just think it's such a great um depiction of the just that time like just the 1930s and and sort of what society was like and, and how politics and economics affected people's lives because it's a really a really tumultuous time because you had everybody kind of coming out of the Great Depression and obviously for actual poor people that was awful but these characters are kind of middle to upper class mm. and how it affected them in terms of some of their families losing their millions and how they coped with just being like, have, you know, just being a bit more middle class and having to think about what they were spending money on and how that affected their family relationships and then politically so much was happening like you had so many you had so many like radical left-wing political movements and like the the communist and socialist movements were really big but then obviously you have the threat of fascism as well yeah and thinking Um, about it you very rarely get a book that really explores how politics kind of shapes the psyche to the extent that this does yeah I think that's what I loved about it it's not it's not a book where it's like this will teach you about the politics of the time because then it would be that would be more at the forefront it's almost just how it affects their daily lives yeah and Um, it'll go from like one minute it'll be talking about breastfeeding and then the next minute it'll be talking about Trotsky yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, and then and how and how like each of their political beliefs changes or how it it makes them see each other. It's not just like this is what one person thought, this is what another person thought. It's it's like you said, it's about how it affects their actual psyche and their and their how they see themselves and their purpose in the world. Um, yeah. It's fascinating the stuff not necessarily to do with politics, but to do more, I guess, with science and that faith, I guess, that existed. I don't really know a lot about the 30s in America, but from this I got that there was a lot, there was a lot of Freud in it and a lot about psychoanalysis and stuff like that. And so I I took from that that there was maybe quite a lot of faith in, in science and experts and stuff like that. And there's obviously this whole thing around breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, like what people experience today is kind of flipped on its head and you were judged then if you did breastfeed because bottle feeding was this new innovation that humans had come up with. So therefore was kind of considered superior and breastfeeding was kind of gross and something that was in the past and they were moving away from. Yeah, and then isn't isn't the character... One one of the eight, she she decides to breastfeed instead, um, and then she's kind of almost like punished for it. In yeah. A way. Yeah. 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 I think there's. I think you're right. Like everything to do with like the the medical world in it is just complete submission to the authority of the doctor. Yeah. Like whatever whatever he says has to be right. Um, and even when it's not even a medical issue, like there was one bit where it's describing one of the characters giving birth and the doctor, like just before the husband comes back in, like the doctor basically tells her to put some lipstick on or something <laughs> to, to like basically, you know, you need to look all good for your husband. <laughs> or as maybe it's so angry. It's also, but... um, it's also mechanistic as well, as in the way that they talk about it and the way that they... Like when they're taking that the baby away from after having been breastfed and and weighing him every time to see how many ounces of milk he's consumed, yeah. and the idea that you're only meant to touch a baby when it 
you know, at these certain times a day. And it just seems so alien now. But that idea really that does. if a baby's crying, you shouldn't touch it. And, you know, it has to have exactly this many feeds a day and at these times. And I, mean, I don't know, yeah. but I'm assuming babies aren't that kind of scientifically kind of... No, I don't think you need to weigh your baby every time you... you... Um, uh, yeah, about, yeah, about the Freud stuff, like... It's, again, it's almost like anything that the psychiatrist says is, you know, it's like, has to be true. And so, like, there's this whole sort of subplot of one... Um, relationship between a character and a man and he sees a psychiatrist once a week I think and it's like four times a week isn't it he sees is it four times a week and and basically he is it like he doesn't dream and until he has a dream he's you know he's not cured I mean to me it seems like a obviously a con but this guy puts like complete faith in it I guess because psychoanalysis is all based on the subconscious, so you need dreams to be able to make it work. But I don't, I don't know if that's how psychoanalysis works now. I'm assuming it's not. But yeah, so he's getting along. For, like basically, he's divorced his wife, and the condition, or not? No, not divorced, separated. And they've got this condition where they both have to have psychotherapy, and he's having it, and then he suddenly stops dreaming, and the doctor's like. And he still has to go and pay the doctor just to sit there and basically say nothing. <laughs> yeah. He kind of uses that as an excuse to break off with this other woman, though, doesn't he? Like, you're you're blocking my, like, dreams. my psychotherapy and my dreams. Um, so did you actually enjoy it as a novel? <laughs> or did you like it? <laughs> yeah, we haven't even spoken about that. Yeah, I did. I really did. I thought it was brilliant. It was... It was amazing, really, because you're introduced to all of these characters, and there's eight of them, I think, in total. I didn't count them. I actually just got that from, like, the Wikipedia. Um, And there's not really a lot of time spent on each character. And because the chapters are quite long, it's not a very fast-moving novel. It's kind of more just snapshots in time. Mm. with various characters but I felt like I'd read a whole book on like most of the characters because she's just so good at painting character in such a short amount of prose (laughs) I don't know if you got that yeah I did yeah and like in some bits like a couple of years would go by and it would just pick up from where it left off with one of them but still make it seem like a coherent person you're reading about, even though you've, you're not following their every move. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the, the, the way she writes is, is brilliant, I think. The way she gets across like such complex, subtle, emotional layers of the way actual people are, like men, men and women, is brilliant. And it doesn't feel like, oh, eight characters, that's so many, like, I don't even care about all of them you you do feel like you've really gone through it all with them yeah definitely did you, I know you might not remember their names but did you have like a favorite um did I have a favorite I think I liked oh what was it Polly I liked the one who worked at the hospital yeah that's Polly yeah I liked her for some reason I think she was one of my favourites as well. She's one of the only people who ends up happy at the end. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah, because she's the one who basically moves in with her her father, who has bipolar. Yeah, and, and she kind of her, gives uh, up on marriage, doesn't she? And then suddenly she's, like, in the hospital talking to this colleague of hers and he just proposes to her out yeah that is so bizarre can you imagine someone proposing to you before you even kissed them let alone people did that a lot back then didn't they like marry me okay (laughs) and then suddenly i'm pregnant like two weeks later oh god how did anyone end up happy it's just it would be a miracle if you did did you have a favorite or was it her 
Um, it was either her or I quite liked Helena. She was quite emotionless. So. Oh yeah, was she the one who was just a big snob? She. Uh, oh no, she's the one that basically she... was good at everything. Yeah, that was so funny when she's just yeah. like listing everything she knows and like all the languages and stuff and hobbies she has. She just doesn't really give a shit. Like she walks in yeah. on Harold and Noreen kissing, and Harold's obviously married Kay and stuff. So it's that's like a big for anyone else that'd be a big drama, but for yeah. her she's just like. Meh. She just does not yeah, care. She's like, I'm not going to say anything. Actually, yeah, she's the only one who remains single. Yeah. Just, I've just checked yeah. that. What did you think about the Noreen character? Because she's basically the only other one who is, like, not in the group, like, not in the in-group. But mm. but there's a lot going on about her. Um, she she was, like, jealous of them at, at college and was a bit of an outsider. Um and she's really into like left-wing politics and does a lot of dramatic sort of uh what's the word theatrical like protests around new york um, yeah yeah um i don't know and that yeah and there's that whole bit at the end with like her baby and her having married a jewish man yeah I don't know um, what I thought of her really. She, I, I guess she, she was one of the few characters I maybe didn't have a kind of really strong impression of, or a kind of mm. maybe I didn't have a strong connection with her because she's kind of on the periphery for the first bit. Yeah, one thing I, I did actually, um, uh, like remember is, and I've just found it again. She's sort of she's talking to Helena when she's basically begging her not to tell Kay about the affair, um, and she's like opening up to her. And they were talking about uni, and she says to Helena, "You people were the as, and I'm going to get this wrong, as that. Oh. How do you <laughs> I literally spell it? can't say this word. A e s t h e t e s, like aesthetes. 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 We were the politicals, but." when you that word is something to do with like aesthetic isn't it as in like the way things look and everything and I thought that was that really made me think about the way the way the group just just think about the world like they that's not necessarily true in that they do they do kind of hold political beliefs in the sense that they have they have opinions about right and wrong and and like you know what whoever the president is at the moment and whether America should join the war or not but they do kind of everything they look at and everything they think about like their friendships the way they cook it is all about like the aesthetics and the and the social code and class basically that's like, so true and they are they as radical or progressive as they as they make out themselves to be they are essentially quite snobbish most of them yeah they are like and even within their own group like you know, a couple of them are, are new money or one of them kind of just managed to get into the college on a whim and they constantly talk about that fact and, and mention it. Like, you can't you can imagine them as if you were an outsider, you'd just be like, oh, that's, that's that group of snobs, you know, who, who think they're better than us. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, but Noreen, she, because her politics are you know, quite radical and stuff at the beginning, and she obviously is politically active, but I might have got this wrong, but by the end, she's she's kind of just married someone rich, right? And she lives in this swanky apartment, and she is still a bit different, and she's not kind of doing all of the kind of stuff with her baby that Pris is doing. But she's kind of become a little bit of a melt by the end hasn't she or not a melt but she's not prioritizing her politics in the same way no she just marries into like the same class that she was in and it does feel a little bit like she's just playing with the identity of being radical and enjoying all the drama of doing a sort of strike i'm gonna cough (coughs) it is it is very like champagne socialist and and being political when it's convenient for you to be or when it's fashionable or when it's fun yeah, yeah and it sounds it sounds like some it kind of reminds me of us yeah definitely this is us 
we were like all radical in union stuff and then we left and we're like oh I don't want to go to a political meeting now no like we still believe that like we still believe in the same principles yeah. but but our but like we just don't have all day to do what we want with our time I think our don't... social life doesn't revolve around it anymore so it's a lot harder to actually to do it would be a massive compromise now whereas at the time I think it wasn't a compromise it fit so neatly into our lives and it that was our social yeah. life do you know what I mean oh yeah definitely yeah but yeah I was gonna say something about Kay because she she's like a classic example of she's kind of progressive or whatever on the surface but I think it even says in in the book that she she wants change but not in a way that's gonna kind of affect her class like she still wants her class to be to maintain its kind of privilege basically yeah she's like kind of radical on the surface in that like she dresses a bit more weird and seems to be really carefree and everything but all she wants is the like the adoration and the acceptance of of the rest of the group who are from kind of old money and who are higher up in the class scale than her yeah and you know she like that that's her dream really is to be a part of that and I think she's probably the sad I mean obviously she's sad because she dies but even regardless of that she's definitely the saddest character Mm. um and that she's she's never really happy is she she gets committed by her own husband yeah just to get her out the way for a bit um yeah actually I'm just I'm sorry I'm doing that annoying thing where I'm looking at the Wikipedia while we're talking but um (laughs) (laughs) she um she apparently she McCarthy um was a supporter of Trotsky um and denied being a feminist or writing for the second wave of feminism um Mm. as she believes in equality and freedom of rights but does not view it as a gendered issue yeah, I think that's why she's focused focused a lot so much on class and yeah. stuff because their problems are just totally not the same as like the the African American maid who they're like all really rude to, for example. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I wrote down I think from that Guardian article that McCarthy described feminism as a cocktail of self pity, shrillness, and greed. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I know. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't describe feminism necessarily as that. I might describe some feminists as that. <laughs> yeah, certain, like, aspects of the feminist movement. Yeah. But that probably what didn't make her very popular in the 60s, I, I suppose. No, probably not. She um, was married four times, you know. Really? Yeah. Wow. So she was definitely qualified to write about about marriage and marriage and relationships, yeah. What do you think about Lakey's character and the way it ends? Yeah, the ending is quite unusual. Because um, Lakey's basically not in it for the entire novel. No. She goes away at the start, just after the wedding, and comes back at the end for the funeral. Yeah, she moves to Europe, Um and then she comes back with her girlfriend, basically. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really, really interesting ending. Um, so she it ends with the funeral of Kay, and Harold, Kay's like, ex-husband, has shown up, and, and Lakey ends up giving him a, a lift, or he drives, but they end up going in the car together to the, um, like the grave. And it's a it's a conversation between them. I ha- I did have to read that twice to kind of understand what was going on, mm. or to try and understand what was going on because I think she basically believes he's a massive asshole, but on the surface he presents himself as this like kind of radical progressive sort of arty theatre type, mm-hmm. like a bit of a yeah a bit of a like oh I'm I'm accepting of everything, um, and she kind of believes that he isn't and that he's not a good person and that he's um, kind of selfish and, and nasty. And so I think she's trying to kind of draw that out of him. She's she's trying to like manipulate the conversation so that the fact that she's a lesbian comes up in conversation and then 
he'll show his true colours by being kind of really horrible to her and really homophobic. Yeah. Um, and he ends up asking her if she slept with Kay or any of the other women and she basically just doesn't tell him either way, which drives him mad and then he says some really horrible stuff to her. Um, and, yeah, it was a strange ending because, again, it's just a strange way to end it on so focusing so much on him as a character like rather than on some of the other women and and her as well because she's barely been in it at all yeah um i don't know i I, mean, I liked the ending i guess it was kind of like reversing the power dynamic that kay and harold had because she suddenly has yeah. the power over him and she's kind of not being subjugated by him the way Kate yeah, was she kind of toys time. with him doesn't she yeah, and she, she kind just... of knows what's going to happen it yeah. says like Lakey smiled like a lizard so she yeah she is like really sneakily <laughs> getting what she wants she says and yeah well no it, the narrator says um, Lakey was content she had forced this dreadful man at last to be truthful the fact that he revealed a hatred of abnormality was only to be expected yeah so maybe she's almost like, I don't know if avenging is the right word, but kind of avenging Kay in the sense that she, at least she's exposed him for what he, what he is. I liked her by the end. I thought, yeah, yeah. I didn't like her at the beginning of the book, but she redeemed herself at the she end. She did. And he is truly like the, one of the most awful people that I've ever seen in literature. <laughs> oh my God, he, might, he is definitely the worst character in the entire book. Oh yeah. He's horrible. Just he's so slimy and slippery in the way he constantly is like, he think he's always thinking he's the victim, but also at the same time that he's amazing. And oh god, he just just oh. Some of the stuff he says to her as well, like I wish I'd written it down because it's so um, what's the word like manipulative and just like fucked up. I mean, yeah, like gaslighting. God, yeah, that's what's massively. that's why he's a good character because he's not like. He's not like sort of a, like a monster evil person. He's just like probably a lot of people who just have like a hero complex or, or think that they're better than everyone and just definitely think they can yeah. toy with people. And he says like he liked, he basically says he just liked making Kay upset and liked treating her badly um, because it was quite fun for him. And that bit where she's obviously livid at him and really angry that he's basically sent her to a psychiatric hospital and then he comes in and you're kind of livid on her behalf and then he comes in and somehow like he starts saying all of this stuff and you're kind of, you kind of buy into it as well the same way she sort of does. You're kind of, what's the word, like under his spell a little bit and then suddenly it kind of breaks and you're like, wait, what? No, he is an arsehole. Yeah, he's he's really really eloquent and manipulative and obviously has a real presence. Otherwise, she wouldn't have fallen for him. Um, yeah, and is talented in some ways. I mean, what's kind of like sad and kind of sad funny? <laughs> sad funny. Sad funny <laughs> is that she actually had a lot of talent herself in in like the theatre and in acting which is what she was really passionate about but he basically said to her like you're not very good I'm the good one and she just kind of believes it and then that's just yeah. her her like that bit of her life over like she never writes any plays never directs anything never acts in anything again yeah well this is the thing they're all educated women they've all been to college and university they're all obviously intelligent but how many of them actually end up using any of that intelligence really no they just like, they, they just kind they of don't. they don't like it's almost like impossible for them to not just succumb to doing what their husbands say because they they probably just couldn't live in a marriage if they did because if if they exactly. did because it's not just like every now and again the husband will say something that's not on it's it's like that's their entire relationship and marriage so and that's their reality and like yeah. that's the way their reality is shaped i think it speaks to the kind of the really deep-rooted nature of patriarchy you know you can do token things like allowing women to go to uni or you know allowing women into 
boardrooms or you know all these things and they're kind of token gestures but they don't actually address you know how pervasive an ideology is or you know because everyone's grown up with that as their as an understanding yeah precisely and it shapes their realities like to such a great degree and the way they think about everything in themselves they just internalize they you know that it's not even that they've internalized patriarchy it's it's just it's there from the minute they're born in their brains as they're being brought up um yeah and and yeah like you said it's it goes it's so much more it goes so much deeper than that because even one of them who wants to be an editor i think um tries so hard and is working really hard to get like some work out of this newspaper and then the 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 guy basically just says you'd be better off being an agent and basically says because you're a woman you won't be able to do this um but you'd be really good as as an agent like a literary agent and then describes what that career would be like and she does end up being a really successful literary agent and then you know on the surface has this like really fantastic career but just know, yeah. knowing that's how she got into it and it's not actually what she originally really wanted and what she desired um that's really interesting and also i think it's mentioned in passing at the end that she's married a an author a really mm. successful author and it's like i don't know however successful they are they're always going to be kind of a step down from mm. who they marry. I guess, like, I just thought it was really brilliant because, you know, we, are like, being the age we are, we, we know what, you know, we know what sexism used to be like and stuff, but I've never, or we know what patriarchy used to be like, but I've never really read anything that it was so richly presented. Um and and kind yeah. of and also it it brought it to home like on the one hand you felt like it was so long ago and like it was another world and you can't believe people you know were treated that way and stuff but at the same time it it almost felt really familiar as well definitely it was an exaggerate it was like an exaggeration it was kind of an exaggerated version but i mean hands down that stuff it's not the rule anymore but that stuff still goes on definitely yeah and I think in a milder way a lot of it is still the norm but just not yeah just in a less exaggerated way yeah I think so like in terms of the workplace and what people how people are treated differently and contraception contraception is still up to the woman to put stuff in her body and like manipulate her body to not get pregnant and I'm sure like well, we haven't got much breastfeeding experience, but I'm sure there's still, you know, pressures around that. Yeah, for the opposite yeah. pressure, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and that's it, isn't it? It's not about, and it's not about just changing a rule or making a rule, because you can do that, and it's it's still experienced by people. That's not going to change until we completely restructure society. Um, yeah, and recognise that, like, women by living at home or bringing up children or being housewives is actually what keeps the economy going yeah and it's a it's a it's a devaluing that's the thing you can't fix you can't fix such a fundamental devaluing and like women devaluing themselves as well yeah you can't fix that just by being like oh okay like we'll have this job as a ceo some some women yeah (laughs) there you go i think that's what yeah, I think that's one of the other things I really liked about this is that she has, although she's like kind of satirizing things and and kind of making fun, she obviously has a lot of compassion for the characters, and you you can get frustrated at them for for not pushing boundaries or not kind of going after what they really want, or you can yeah you can get frustrated at them for not questioning their own thoughts in the way that they could, but at the same time it's like what else are they going to do like they just want to they just want to have a nice life and be happy and you can't really blame them for kind of just almost like giving up in a way no and it's that is quite fascinating that we can read it from a modern from the modern day and still be empathizing with them in their position and still be understanding why they're making the decisions they are you know even though we're sitting here being like you know I would never let a man talk to me like that you can kind of 
you can understand it in the context of the book why it's happening yeah definitely which makes it a really great brilliant fantastic incredible novel (laughs) (laughs) you never actually said I mean it was kind of just implicit that you liked it yeah those words (laughs) okay well we've been talking for like an hour now yeah is there anything else pressing that you wanted Um, to say about it no not really I mean if god you could just talk about it forever couldn't you I know it's quite an intimidating book to talk about I think because just one of the storylines you could talk about for ages and there's so many of them like there's so many parts we haven't even touched on and you could do yeah like you could you could focus really like intently on all the the lives of the characters and all the different things that happen to them or you can do what we've done a bit more which is talk a bit more broadly but either of those would be really interesting but that would be like a whole day of talking I, I really loved it. I'd, I'd love, like, I'd, I'd highly recommend it to anybody and just really, like, emphasise that it's not just, like, a women's book, you know. I really don't like all of that because it just takes, no. it just takes away the the pleasure and the, like, challenge that anyone would it get reading it. It devalues it. That in itself is a sexist categorisation because yeah. just because something has women as its main characters does not mean it's not interesting or shouldn't be interesting to everyone and doesn't deal with kind of it's almost like women get set apart as a whole other it's like the things that women experience don't apply to the rest of humanity so men couldn't kind of um connect with them but we're but we read millions of books that have male protagonists and manage to connect with it yeah it's no different their universal human experiences yeah yeah exactly yeah it's no different is it you could you could even write like I mean this would obviously be a stretch but you could write a blurb and not even mention that the characters are women you could just be like just say that it's it's about like New York middle class life and the the challenges of a post depression economy and blah, blah, blah. you could you could do that if you wanted to and they wouldn't be yeah. lying um, but also like you said like we can female readers constantly empathize and are interested in the lives and in and like psyches of male characters so male readers can do the same for women exactly and obviously there will be differences and this book probably does um what's the word empathy no oh my god my brain's just gone blank em- emphasize those differences mm. but that's maybe even more reason why people who aren't women should read it yeah yeah because it's fascinating yeah, or it should be, but apparently not. I mean, at least it was on the bestseller list. It's not like it wasn't appreciated. No, yeah, it was a it was a huge success, and that still is, isn't it? Yep. I mean, but I just I feel like this cover is not helping matters. Like, what's the, your cover? The cover like? on mine. Oh yeah, this is, is our new segment. No, yeah, called Judge a Book by its Cover. Judge a Book by its Cover. <laughs> So I'm massively judgmental about this cover because no man would ever be seen dead reading this book <laughs> on the tube. What's it like? It's literally five women strutting across a bridge with a New York skyline in the background and they're all wearing really bright clothes, like pink coats and leopard skin coats and all kind of wearing hats and chatting to each other. And then it says, the group introduced by Candace Bushnell. <laughs> I mean, there's what... There's eight of them. Why are there only five women? <laughs> At least get the right number. God. Also, it's so unrealistic because, you know, even though it's called the group and they are obviously friends, it's very um, misleading, this cover, because it makes them all out to be this chummy group of pals that go out shopping together. And it's like they're actually not like that. You no, know, they are not. a group, but they're not this pally, close group of friends who hang out all the time, are they? No, like some of them don't see each other for years and years and like yeah. barely ever speak. It's not like that at all. I mean, yeah, we they didn't don't even, even necessarily like each other. We didn't, that, much. that, like, I don't think we can even go into it now, but we didn't even really talk about the female friendships or the friendships or so called <laughs> so called friendships. That's all just fascinating as well. Like, I was, yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, 
Okay, What's so your cover like? We're, we're not going for your cover. So, yeah, so like I said at the beginning, my, my copy is from 1965, and it's such a cool cover. We'll, we'll put it on our Instagram, so um, everyone follow us on Instagram. Um, our profile is... Find the lit? Find, yeah, just username find the lit, all one word. So my cover is like really bold writing that says Mary McCarthy in black capitals and then it's like this kind of brown like painterly background and it's got the words the group kind of written in like really like girly handwriting and and the ends of some of the letters have like daisies painted on them (laughs) which is you know it's still like kind of girly but I don't know it just it looks just a lot more cool less sex in the city vibe than mine yeah um, definitely yeah. more just like this book is published in the 60s <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other thing that um, I'm definitely going to put on Instagram as well is my copy um, has this basically like a, a political leaflet inside it that I found which which must be from the 60s I reckon um, or, or like at least yeah no way what does it I say on it do I not tell you about this I don't I I could probably work out when it was from but um it's like done on a typewriter and it's got two sides and it says women speak out against race racism and fascism um and it's been published because it's got their address at the bottom the North London Socialist Feminist Group and it's got their address um and I don't know whether I should read it out because it is quite long but that's, um, that, that's amazing it, I'll give you one one thing it says um, I'll, I'll read you one page okay. and then you can go onto our Instagram to read the other page it says women speak out against racism and fascism in capitals we share many of the same problems whether black or white the national front are a threat to us all don't let them divide us oh so it was whenever they were big oh, I'm really rubbish with the history yeah I don't really um, we're, and then it says we're, we are against the national front because they blame black people when houses stand empty and building workers are unemployed. They blame black people for unemployment when it was even worse in the 30s and there were no black people in Britain. I think there were, but um, they want to restrict trade unions. They want to control women's bodies if we're white as breeding machines, if we're black by sterilisation and deportation. They use fear, violence and intimidation to get power while pretending to be democratic don't let them divide us oh. and then there's loads more demands on the other side as well i just um, i just looked it up the national oh. front were founded in 1967 oh, okay so it basically is from them and they reached the height it's... of its electoral support during the mid 1970s yeah so i don't know when this was but it's from the north london socialist feminist group uh, it's so cool just like that i found it in here and it's all like really old-fashioned typewritery like there's no pictures or anything on it you should get that framed <laughs> i should i actually should it's really cool yeah, it's awesome. so i'll post it on instagram a little bit of a little bit of social history there in my book yeah um yeah and it's got and it's and it's got loads of really good like reviews on the back there was one that i actually wanted to read but Wait, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Oh well, on the back of my copy, it's just got loads of quotes. Oh right. And this is another thing that I love about old books. Like, if you had a book now, like, and the cover had a quote, it would just have a quote and the person's name, right? But on this book, it's got all these quotes on the back, and then at the top, in like small italics, it just says, "What the critics have said about the group." (laughs) (laughs) It's just so unnecessary. So, do we have to give it a um, number? We have to give it. We have to give it a rating. I'm gonna give it an um, eight. Oh gosh, that was quick. Had you thought of that in advance? <laughs> yeah, and also it just ties in quite neatly because it follows eight graduates. Oh yeah. I mean, is there a specific reason why it didn't get ten? Um. I guess it, like, to be fair, I should give it more than an 8. I should probably give it 8.5 or 9, but I wouldn't give it a 10 just because... Just because as much as she was very masterful at creating really rich characters in such a short amount of time, I feel like 
you know, as a book which covered so much ground, it probably, there are books that would have had more emotional res- resonance for me. Yeah, that was what, what I found about it is that you're really, dra- like, I was really drawn in and intrigued and empathised, but I didn't get emotional at anything. Yes. Like, I didn't really, I didn't get emotional when Kay dies. You know, you don't actually feel that intensity of emotion that you do with other books, but I've, I believe she probably did that on purpose. Like, yeah, and I think it was it was effective symbolically, but maybe just not not it's emotionally. A, it's, yeah, it's more kind of, in a way, like satirical, I guess. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'll give it a nine. Uh. I'll give. Oh, I like to do my little thing. I'll give it a nine out of ten. Diaphragm. Ah, yeah. I found the word pessary. <laughs> pessary sounds like something that should be, should be used in the kitchen. I literally. Oh, I don't know what it is, but I literally opened it on a page and it says, "Get yourself a pessary." <laughs> sounds like pestle Dick and mortar. Yeah. So nine out of ten pessaries. Nice. <laughs> Okay, um, so are you going to announce what the book is for the next podcast so everyone can rush out and buy it and read it? Yeah, of course. So I was going to do, I asked you this over WhatsApp the other day, didn't I? I asked you if you'd read Stoner by John Edward Williams. Yeah, I haven't read it. No, and I do really want to read that, and I have done for a while, but I looked it up and, I mean, it is meant, it's definitely a must read, but it's by an American author, and the <laughs> plot, at a glance, sounds very much like Ethan Frome. <laughs> so I was like, what? okay, I don't want to go to samey. Do another Ethan Frome. So I decided to yeah. just do something a bit, I don't know, I decided on a kind of like rogue book that, and I literally decided this about five minutes before we started re- recording. I just like plucked it off my bookshelf. Ooh. Oh, I'm so excited. What is it? It's modern it? and it's by, I, I think, a Norwegian musician. What's it called? Modern? <laughs> no, I just said it is modern. I haven't said the title yet. <laughs> oh, I thought that was the title. <laughs> it's called Paradise Rot, a novel. Paradise Rot. It's by Jenny Haval. What, and somehow, and how come you've already got it? Well, I, I think it's a proof copy that I got from work. But interestingly, yeah, so this is why I want to read it. One, it's got an amazing cover. Like, the cover is really, really cool. It's also quite short, and it's got good reviews. And it's also a fiction book, which is published by Verso. Oh, yeah, they're normally, like, the... They're normally non-fiction. The non, non-fic. Yeah. And yeah. I think this was one of the first one of their first forays into fiction so okay yeah that sounds good it sounds different it's a norwegian we haven't done that yet exactly but unfortunately they don't have it in the library and so you might have to order it it's okay i'll buy it <laughs> i'll buy it cool okay looking forward to that um should we say our goodbyes then yeah let's say goodbye like don't actually hang up <laughs> I'm not going to hang up on you, I'm just going to stop recording. Okay, we'll say goodbye to our listeners. Okay, goodbye listeners. Bye. Bye. Bye.